All right, well, stand to your feet. Let's get ready to go to God's Word. If you are visiting with us here today or a guest, we say welcome. We are thrilled, elated that you would spend uh, this, after, this morning with us uh, listening to and, and singing God's praises as well as uh, the preaching of his word. Uh, today we're going to close out our series in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. And I'm, I'm thankful for the artwork for the series. Isn't it, that pretty amazing? Amen. Jonah chapter 4, starting at verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leaf plant, leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? and also many animals. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to uh, proclaim your word, to preach Christ, to preach about you. Uh, truly, you are amazing. And Lord, I pray together that you would create in us a clean heart and renew in us the right spirit. I pray, Father God, that you would awaken our hearts to your grace and to your love. I pray, Father God, that you would draw us near to you this morning so that we can see a clear picture of you. I pray that you will challenge us and yet remind us of your, you, that you are our Abba Father. Lord, would you move me out the way? Would you allow your spirit, which is indwelling me and your people, to be full at this point? Um, allow us to, to, to be able to enjoy your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, so I want to share with you probably the most, one of the most, I should say, embarrassing moments I've had as a, as a pastor. Uh, I was driving down Frankfurt, uh, Frankfurt Avenue in the Highlands, and it was a sunny day, and I was cruising, and there was a, a guy behind me in a sports car, and he was on my tail for like a mile, just right on my tail. I mean, if I had stopped suddenly... We we're going to get in an accident. 
And so we, I come up to a red light, and just as I'm preparing, a yellow light, just as I'm preparing to stop, he goes around me and puts up his middle finger through the sunroof. And I wish that I could tell you that I stopped at that moment and prayed for him. And that I said, God bless you. But I didn't. I actually uh, sped up as well to make it through the yellow light, to which he pulled off to the side. I don't think he, he noticed that I was behind him. And he gets out of his car with who, what I presume to be his girlfriend, very young guy. And I said, you know what? I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. So I did a U-turn in the street, and he's walking across the street, and we catch eyes, and him and his girlfriend freeze in terror. I know, it's so bad. <laughs> and I just looked at him and stared him down the whole time he crossed the street. And then he yelled, Pastor Jamal? I'm just joking. <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, he didn't. But <laughs> he walks across the street. I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. He's looking like, okay, is this guy crazy? I'm giving him the crazy eye as if I am. <laughs> and then the Lord convicted me so bad. I called my wife, confessed that I got so angry, angry to the point of intimidating someone I did not know. Um, and that's what anger does, doesn't it? Like, we can get caught up in a moment of just not thinking about anyone else but ourselves. And we can come, become fixated on the fact that someone has harmed us, that they've done something to hurt maybe our reputation or our schedule or our discomfort. And the Bible says a lot about anger, talks a lot about anger. Even going all the way back to, to Genesis chapter 4, where, where Cain kills Abel. And the, the type of anger that the Bible speaks about more than any other type of anger is what we call divine anger. Divine anger is God's anger. It's God's wrath towards uh, sinners and sin. God is a righteous God, a perfect God, a holy God, and he cannot embrace sin, lest he himself be unjust. And so in the Bible, we see this divine anger where God is acting towards mankind uh, because of their wickedness and their evil. There's another type of anger that the Bible talks about, and this is what we'll call righteous human anger. And this is a, a anger that is rooted um, and that imitates God's anger. And throughout the scriptures, perhaps the best picture we see of righteous human anger is Jesus, though Jesus is fully God and fully man. We see throughout the Gospels that Jesus gets angry, but his anger is not rooted in a selfishness or a, a pride is, is rooted in God's glory and, and honoring his Father's name. The third type of anger is a sinful human anger. And a sinful human anger is an anger that uh, acts or reacts because of a perceived moral wrong. But it's not rooted in a, a care and, and, and love for God's name and God's honor. It's, it's normally rooted in self-vindication or even self-righteousness. This idea that because I'm a good person or because I am me, that I deserve better. And who are you to treat me this way? Who are you to give me the middle finger? I'll show you. Well, here in Jonah chapter 4, we see that Jonah is angry. He is seething 
In Jonah chapter 3, we see that Jonah goes and he preaches to, to Nineveh. Uh, we know that God has had to do a work in his heart to get him there. He literally had to put him in the belly of a sea creature. And Jonah goes to preach to this great, big, wicked city that is uh, in modern day, middle of modern day Iraq. He preaches and a revival breaks out. And you would think that for a prophet to preach about God or Yahweh, the, the uh, name that is most attributed to God in the Old Testament, you would think that he would be excited and be celebrating in chapter 4 what God has done. You would expect to read chapter 4 and see Jonah hanging out with the king of Nineveh, having a good meal and a feast, saying, whoo, look how amazing God is. But that is not what happens. Instead, we see Jonah angry, wallowing in self-pity, wishing he was dead. And at the, at the root of it, at the end of it, he's angry because he... No, knew that God was compassionate and that God would have mercy on the Ninevites. He even quotes uh, Deuteronomy here, that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You would expect that he would be celebrating, but instead he is seething. I mean, that's like a musician being upset because they got invited to play at Carnegie Hall or an NBA basketball player getting upset because he is the first pick in a draft. A prophet being upset because people repented when they heard the word of the Lord. This makes no sense. But it did. Because Jonah's anger is not a, a righteous human anger. It is a sinful anger. And the reason that it is a sinful anger is because he's starting with a question. And when we are living with sinful anger, it is because we are starting with the same question. And the question is not, how can this hurt, how can this disappointment be used for the glory of God? But rather, the question is, how could this have happened to me? And that's what we see here with Jonah. That he starts with that question, everything is about him. Everything is about his reputation. I'm a prophet. What is Israel going to think when they hear that I preach to our enemies and now they have repented and they're following our God? Everything was about his schedule and his comfort. Instead of going to Nineveh, we see in chapter 1, he goes to Tarshish. That's like going far west to California instead of going to the east coast. He wants to be comfortable. And when we're angry... And we're disappointed, it's all about us. It's all about what we want. It's all about my rights. It's all about my appearance. It's all about what I deserve. And what ends up happening when we're angry in that way, we go from that question of, of how could they do this to me to me caring about my schedule, my rights, my reputation, my comfort, all these things. So if, if I don't nip that in the bud at that point, what ends up happening is now it's all about what happens is, is bitterness sets in. I become bitter. And bitterness is an ugly thing. Because at the root of bitterness is, is different characteristics like withdrawal. You know you're bitter when you're not withdrawing from people. You try to avoid them. You see them coming down the hall and you 
dip into the coffee room. Give him the cold shoulder. It's a form of anger. You can say, well, I'm not an angry person. I don't cuss anybody out. I don't turn around like Pastor Jamal and stare people down. But your anger may show up in you giving a cold shoulder. Oh, I'll teach her. I'm not going to speak to her for three days. For some of us, it's, it's not withdrawal. Some of us, it is. It's lashing out. Abusive language. For others, it's just cutting the eye. You ever met somebody that can just cut their eye? My mother was good at cutting her eye. Woo. I would do something wrong. Mama, give me that look. I didn't need to get spanked. I didn't need a whooping. Mama would just cut her eye, and I knew I was in trouble. But all of these show that there's something going on in our heart that is worshiping something more than we are God. Because at the root of our anger is idolatry. At the root of our anger is us believing that something is going to satisfy us more than Christ, more than our relationship with God. And that could be respect. Some of us, are, our idolatry is respect. We want people to respect us, to see us in a certain light. And when things don't go our way, we respond out in anger because we feel disrespected. For others of us, it's just comfort. Anyone who makes us uncomfortable or who doesn't do things according to our, our schedule and, and the way we want it to happen, all of a sudden we become angry. We're not, we're not flexible. So, so comfort is our idol. For some of us, it's control. We have to be in control. Everything has to go through us. And if it doesn't go through us, if it doesn't get our approval, if it doesn't look the way we want it to look, then people are going to feel our wrath. Jonah's idol was ethnocentrism. It was nationalism. It was him believing that the Jewish people were were better than everyone else. That since God had chosen them, that they deserved certain things and that they were to be more privileged than others. And what is God doing? God is pressing and, and prodding and, and pointing and poking at Jonah's idols. And that's the thing I love about this text is it shows us that God isn't just concerned about us being a Christians on mission. He's just concerned about us going to the nations and taking the gospel to our neighborhood and to our friends and, and to people who are in the church. Yes, that is his concern. That is our commission. But God is also concerned about our character. And he will put us in situations and circumstances that will make us uncomfortable, make us uneasy in order to reveal the idols of our heart. And then he will strategically counsel us, strategically move and work in our lives in such a way that shapes us and conforms us to the image of Christ. So when things don't go according to our, our schedule, when, when things don't line up with, with the reputation we want, when, when we're not being valued by our spouse or our friend or, or, or whoever the way we want, rather than start with, how could this happen to me? Perhaps an appropriate question is asked is, Lord, how do you want to use this in my life to shape me and bring glory to you? How are, are you using this trial to shape me and to bring glory to you? And then and rather than respond in the flesh by, by making a U-turn, perhaps the best thing we can do then 
is to say, Lord, fill me with my spirit and help me to respond supernaturally. Help me not to be bitter. Help me not to be cold. Help me not to withdraw. Help me, Lord, to be faithful to your spirit. Empower me to be patient and kind and long-suffering and to love my enemies. And that's what the Lord is trying to get Jonah to do. He's trying to get Jonah to respond by trusting in him rather than trusting in himself. So when we trust in ourselves, it leads to confusion and brokenness. When we trust in the Lord and we yield ourselves to him, it leads to us glorifying him and it leads to peace and joy. God is going to press Jonah here. Verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So in verse 4, God asked the question, is it right for you to be angry? And then in verse 9, God asked, asked the question, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? God is getting to Jonah's anger. This is the divine counseling session. God is working on Jonah. He's like, sit down. He even made him a little couch. He's like, here, sit down, relax. Here's a plant for you. We need to talk about some stuff. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it right for you to be angry about the fact that I am compassionate, that I am gracious, that I, I save and I forgive? Is it right for you to be upset, Jonah? So what does he do in order to, to get Jonah, to shake Jonah? He, first, he gives him, makes him comfortable. See, grace is a two-sided coin. We talked about that last week. Grace is amazing. That's us experiencing grace in a way that it's like, yes, the Lord speaks to us through his word. The Lord speaks to us through a friend, through a song. We're, we're experiencing him as we, as we bask under his word and meditate on him. And it's like, yes, it's amazing. But the other side of the coin is, is that grace sometimes feels awful. It's God disciplining us. It's God making us uncomfortable. It's God hedging us in. It's, it's having a day where nothing seems to be going right. And God brings both experiences in our life to draw us to him. Last week after I said that, two sisters came up to me both separately and said, you know, you talk about the awful grace of God reminds me of a, a quote. And here's a quote by a sixth century playwright that they were speaking of. This is a quote that uh, God used to soothe Robert Kennedy after the death of uh, John F. Kennedy. It's a, a powerful quote. And actually, when I say the awful grace of God, is the quote that I had in mind. I heard this quote uh, back when I was in college in a sermon uh, that was done by a guy named Robert Smith, Jr. He preached a sermon called The, awful, the Other Side of Grace. He talked about the awful grace of God. 
how, how God's grace um, it doesn't always feel good. Sometimes it, it afflicts. Here's the quote. He who learns must suffer. And even in our, our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart. And in our despair against our will comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. Even in our pain, sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart. And in our own despair against our own will comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. I think that's what Titus 2, 11 through 12, Paul is getting at as he writes to the church of Crete. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, in godly lives in this present age. And that's what we're seeing here in Jonah chapter 4. God is teaching Jonah to say no to worldly passions. Jonah said no to the thing that, that he should have been doing for God, and God's like, I love you too much to leave you there. I've got to teach you to say no to your own flesh, to your own anger. And so what does he do? He allows a, a, a leafy plant to, to block the sun from, from harming Jonah, and soon as Jonah gets comfortable, the next day, God raises up a worm to eat the plant and then sends a wind in a scorching sun to make him uncomfortable again. All of this is under the sovereign hand of God. And sometimes I don't know what to do with that. And sometimes the things that God allows to come into our life just... It's horrible and it's painful and it's messy and it's, it's confusing. But we have two choices and two ways that we can respond. Either we can respond when things happen that make us angry by becoming bitter and trusting in ourselves, or we can respond by saying, Lord, I don't get this. I don't understand why you allow this to come to your hand, but I know you want to make me better and that you can use this to bring glory to yourself and for my own good. It's the difference between Genesis 4 and Genesis 50. Cain is jealous of his brother Abel. Abel's constantly getting it right, constantly at the center of attention. And so what does Cain do? He gets angry. God tells Cain, sin is crouching at the gate. In other words, be aware. <laughs> your, your heart is angered and embittered. Be aware. What does Cain do? He allows sin to, to, to come in to the point that he kills his brother Abel. Later on in Genesis, we see a different picture of Joseph who was beat and abused, placed in a pit, sold into slavery, spent time in jail. But through it all, even though he's confused and hurt, he says, Lord, I'm going to I'm going to trust you. And the Lord brings him up out of the pit, brings him up out of prison, brings him to, to a place of now being a ruler. And Joseph has an opportunity now to get his brothers back, the, one who, the ones who betrayed him. And instead of getting his brothers back and becoming vengeful, he looks at things through a transcendent perspective rather than tunnel vision. 
He looks at things from a perspective that says, you know what? What Satan meant for evil, Satan is the one who ultimately brought this evil on. God meant for the good. God meant for the good. A lot of times when things happen to us, we are tunnel vision. It comes about me and what I want and my schedule and my life rather than having a, a transcendent vision that says this is horrible, this hurts, this is inconvenient, but perhaps God is going to use this for his glory. And let me begin that, that process of trusting God and allowing him to heal me so that he would be glorified. So what do we do? What do, we, what do we do with our anger? We trust the Lord rather than ourselves. We seek to glorify him, which leads to peace and joy. How do we uproot anger? We see in the bulletin, number one, we reject tunnel vision and we embrace, we embrace God's transcendent vision. That's what we see in the study of the, the book of James. James is writing uh, this book to Jews who are in dysphoria. Uh, they are probably being persecuted. And we read in James chapter 1, verse 19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Verse 20, why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word, the word planted in you which, you which can save you. So let's apply this to Jonah. Jonah, don't, don't allow your, your anger to control you. Why? Because it does not produce a righteous outcome. But rather, Jonah, listen to the Lord questioning your heart and respond humbly. The Lord asked Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? A humble response is, Lord, no, it is not right for me to be angry about this, but I'm angry. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. You see, the outcome of human anger and human wisdom and, and godly wisdom, James chapter 3, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but earthly, unspiritual. Listen to this, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Is there disorder right now in your home amongst your, your marriage? Is there, is there disorder right now between you and a sibling? A community group member, a, a church member, a, a friend, a, a co-worker. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. This is probably one or, or both of you, rather than, than asking a question, how is God using this to bring glory to himself? This is us answering the question by asking the question, Lord, how could this happen to me? How could they not respect me more? How could they not be more convenient in making everything 
about me. And, and if I don't deal with that at the root, it grows into bitterness and it grows into other things like envy or, or covetousness and it, and it grows and it ruptures that relationship. And I love what James says as he's talking to church. He says, this is not from God. This is demonic. This is Satan, Satan sowing seeds of discord. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, Jonah, and good friend, fruit, impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What, what, what got in Jonah's way was his self-righteousness. What gets in my way often is my self-righteousness. What self-righteousness? Self-righteousness is believing that my good works or that there's something good in me that, that allows me to deserve better than the next person. Jonah believed that there was something inherently good in the, in the Jewish people that, that allowed them to be treated uh, better, to receive mercy and grace more than the average or the other nations. And that's just not the case. God saved the Jews. He set them apart, not so that they would become a holy huddle, but so that they would become a light to the nations. And that they would see how gracious God has been towards them despite their evil ways, despite their idolatry, and that they would realize that God is merciful to them and that they would share that mercy with others. But when we live as if life is about us and as if we deserve everything good that comes our way, that self-righteousness seeps in, it takes over our heart. And self-righteous people are miserable people. When I am being self-righteous, I am miserable. I've had far too many days like Jonah where things aren't going my way, and rather than run to God for help, I mope and weep and cry and complain and say, what am I allowed for anyway? It's because of self-righteous, because I'm not seeing God's grace. I'm not seeing God at work. I'm not saying that God is at work even when there's a leafy plant over my head or when the sun is scorching, that he is still good. He is still faithful, and he loves me. He loves me too much to allow me to be comfortable. He loves me too much to, to, to allow me to have the, the things that I, I feel like I got to have. He wants me to see that as long as I have him, as long as I have Jesus, I have more than enough. And that me having Christ is not a result of my good works or my good deeds or my education or intellect or good looks. It's a result of his mercy. Somebody's like, no, brother, that's self-righteous. You ain't saying clear. No, that's total vision. I'm not saying clearly. Jonah has become like the prodigal son in Luke 15. And for those of you who grew up in Sunday school or who read Luke 15, the first thing you're thinking about is the, the, the son that left his father's house and who spent his inheritance on foolish things. But that's not the son I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the older son who when the younger son came home could not throw a party for his wayward brother coming home but rather pouted because he was self-righteous. That's Jonah. And here's the truth. That's many of us in here in this room. Our heart is not soft and affectionate towards 
the loss because our heart is not in a humble state. James chapter 4 gives us good cure. Verse 7. In verse 4 through 7, James calls those who are, are living in, in human wisdom worldly, says that they are committing adultery against God, and then he gives the cure. What's the cure? Verse 6, but he gives us more grace. The cure to our anger, the way we uproot anger, is not by focusing on ourselves and how angry we are and how horrible we are. It's by focusing on a gracious God. By realizing that even in our anger, God is compassionate and merciful. Even when we miss the mark, he loves us. I love that. But he gives more grace. In my adultery, in my adultery, spiritual adultery, he gives more grace. I would expect it to say, but he cuts us off and he, he, he sends us out and he abandons us. No, he says he gives us more grace. What a mighty God we serve. And then he calls us to respond. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Isn't Jonah double-minded? Chapter 1, he's running. Chapter 2, he's repenting. Chapter 3, he's preaching. Chapter 4, he's bowing. And aren't we? Monday, God is good. Tuesday, I don't know what God is doing. <laughs> Wednesday, the Lord is great. His mercy reigns forever. Thursday, I don't think I'm going to church ever again. God will never give me what I want. <laughs> Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. The way in which our sinful pride is, is healed and cured it's not by us focusing on ourselves. It's by us humbling ourselves and focusing on God's grace, seeing how big and how beautiful he is in spite of us. As I think about that, I think about how good God is and how, how God is so much better than Jonah. How one who is greater than Jonah has come. See, Jonah fleed from God laid aside his comfort, and he fleed from God because he didn't want to see Nineveh saved. Jesus laid aside his comfort, and he put on human flesh because he wanted to see us saved. Jonah rested in the, in the, in the oar in the middle of a ship because he was angry that God would save the Ninevites. Jesus rested in a ship because he was God. See, see, Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days. Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days because he loved you. Jonah was, was spit up on, on dry land after three days, and he went into the city to preach to Nineveh with an attitude. Jesus defeated death after three days, overcame the tomb, and, and came preaching the kingdom of God for 40 days to his disciples so that we could have a better picture of who God is. Jonah pouted and wept because he didn't get his way because God is gracious. Jesus 
looked over the city of Jerusalem, and he wept because people didn't realize how gracious and good his father is. I'm so glad that Jesus is not fickle, double-minded like I am, but that he's faithful and that he loves lost people. My prayer is that the Lord will make us all angry today. But not angry at things that are trivial and that don't matter. Not angry at us wanting our kingdom in our way. I pray that the Lord will make us angry at our enemy, Satan. That we will become so angry that we would cry out to him, pray fast. That we'll pick up our words, that we'll show up to community group eager that we'll run to the house of the Lord to fellowship with God's people to be encouraged so that we can go back out into this world that is dying and lost and tell this dying world about our living Savior. I pray that he will fill us up with a righteous anger, with one that opens our eyes and recognizes there are two billion people or more throughout this world that do not know Jesus. And if they die today, if they would go to hell, I pray that God would make us so angry at Satan. so angry that we'll look to him and say, Lord, help us. Help us to have mercy and to show your mercy on people in the same way that you have mercy and show your mercy to us. The Bible tells us that Jesus was a man of passion. He was a man full, filled with righteous anger and he allowed his anger to take him to Calvary's cross to submit his self under the wrath and anger of God so that we could have eternal life. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and, and broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often, Christian, as we eat this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, we take this meal called communion to remind ourselves week in and week out of God's faithfulness. The Bible says even though we are faithless, he is and he remains faithful. And every time we partake in this meal, we remind ourselves of the glorious grace of God, of the rich mercy of our Savior.